1: This song coming in by your newest owner of the Charlotte Hornets. (laughs) Kind of. At least minority owner. That's right. It's not just Gabe Plotkin and Rick Schnall who are a part and leading the group that is purchasing a majority stake from Michael Jordan to hold that majority stake within the Charlotte Hornets organization. No, there are some other people that might be involved here. And in fact, it's not only Eric Church, but J. Cole will have a minority stake within the Charlotte Hornets organization. And we'll get some hip-hop artists here, won't we?
2: We sure will. I mean, we had Natalie as a part of the Bobcats ownership group, and now we've got J. Cole in the building, along with Eric Church, another entertainer. So that's an interesting little tidbit out there for you. Uh
1: Yeah, so Rod Boone, I saw a tweet this out a few hours ago, part of the Charlotte Observer. You can follow him on Twitter, at Rod Boone. J. Cole is a part of the new ownership group, along with Eric Church. And so we have... A couple. I wonder how many concerts they'd be throwing over there right. at
2: the Spectrum Center. You have to think there'd be some type <laughs> of entertainment element added.
1: Well, and I do remember All-Star Weekend when J. Cole performed, when the All-Star Game was in town, he had the crazy sick jacket with the old school Charlotte Hornets logo. I was there covering the event, and I was behind J. Cole, but I was right there just behind him. So that's where media was sitting it was still very cool to see all of that happen. And so we'll see what kind of impact <laughs> can J Cole find another undrafted free agent that could possibly win Eastern Conference finals MVP like he was able to do for Miami when they signed Kayla Martin.
2: Do you think he might try to get a 10 day as well and be a player owner?
1: We know that he's, I think, toyed with that idea in the past. <laughs> so we'll see if J Cole's actually on the roster himself. Now, no, J Cole, Eric Church. Those are not the guys that were leading this group that purchased majority stake. Who are these people? Interesting story, certainly with Gabe Plotkin. He's an American hedge fund manager and now minority owner of the Charlotte Hornets. Gabe Plotkin and Daniel Sunheim bought the majority stake in the Charlotte Hornets organization, remember, in September of 2019. So almost four years ago, he did that. He joined current Mets owner, Steve Cohen's hedge fund, SAC Capital in 2001, became one of its top leaders. Of course, this is where the story starts to get familiar. He founded his own hedge fund, Melvin Capital Management, that was infamously involved in a short sale of GameStop that resulted in massive losses after a lot of retail investors bought GameStop stock, driving up its price. The losses ultimately led to Plotkin shutting down the firm in 2022. Estimations of his personal net worth right now are tough to pin. I've seen some 400 million figures thrown out there, which, by the way, 400 million, not a whole lot. Rick Schnall, I think somewhere around the same, if you look at his net worth, haven't seen anything there, or maybe, excuse me, uh, he was a part of a group that purchased a minority stake in the Atlanta Hawks for $850 million in 2015. It's unknown how much of that purchase was made by Schnall. By the way, you can find some of this information on everyhornetsboxscore.com, curated by one Doug Branson. But the GameStop stock. That's the thing that you can remember from Gay Plotkin, where there was a lot of funny business going around when you weren't allowed to invest on Robin Hood for a little while. Do you remember that when people weren't allowed to invest any money? I'm trying to get some of the details figured out here. But the, the Gay Plotkin thing, it's not like you're selling to anybody that is uber rich or has the squeakiest of clean history when it comes to running a business. So, you know. Shoulder shrugged here as far as what kind of impact that's going to lead to. You just hope that he's going to be a good owner in the way of spending money when it's time to. And hopefully he lets Mitch Kupchak or the GM that he hires do the GM thing. And he lets the scouts, he lets those opinions be heard by whatever GM he decides to hire. Do you think that Gabe Plotkin and Rick Schnall keep Steve Clifford, keep Mitch Kupchak aboard at least for this season and then they move on possibly at the end of next year? Or do you think that he would like to clean house? Because remember, Michael Jordan is still running things, at least through the rest of this offseason. I guess that would mean they probably are just uh, staying uh, s- staying firm with the guys they already have in
2: play. Well, obviously, yeah, we're a long way from the NBA season starting, but the coaching cycle has pretty much completed. So I think at this point they may stand pat just to see what happens. Uh, there's a lot of good things as far as the Hornets and what they could be able to do next season when you talk about the number two overall pick whether or not they decide to bring in miles bridges we know on the court he could potentially help the hornets a lot and with all of the veterans that they'd like to bring back so this is a team that has a little bit of promise i think this will give them a good evaluation as good as any to see if indeed Coach uh, is the right guy for the job, Coach Clifford, and if he can get this thing done with the Hornets and have them at, at least on the right trajectory, and I think they'll get a chance to get a clear picture of that. And if he's not the guy, then I think at the end of next season, they will be able to make moves and be able to clean house and put in guys as they need to.
1: Smitty from the City wrote in, what was the point in scheduling these meetings with Scoot and Brandon If Michael knew he was on the verge of selling the team, he knew it would be done before them for sure. Now, here's something interesting to note, because you look at Jake Fisher continuing to report on that. Jake Fisher said, to my understanding, the impending sale of the Hornets is something Charlotte's front office has discussed with representation for Scoot Henderson and Brandon Miller. But the team's plan has still been scheduling both prospects return to visit with Michael Jordan on Monday. And so even if it is weird to see all of this happen, especially after the report about the meetings taking place with the top two guys, again, Michael is going to be running things through the NBA draft and he's going to be running everything through free agency. As far as we can tell this, according to Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN with the drop here. So he is going to be in charge of everything going on. It is a little weird, but remember this too, Wes, when there was the report about Scoot Henderson, liking the idea of playing for the Charlotte Hornets, not because of any fit with LaMelo or anything like that. Part of that was him him saying, Hey, I can play with anybody. I can play with Dame. I can play with LaMelo. It doesn't matter. I can acquiesce to whatever is going on. But he also said that the, possibility of ownership changing hands was exciting to him and his representation. And that was weird then because it's like, wait, you're saying you would like Michael to sell the team and that would be enticing. And that's the reason you want to play for the Charlotte Hornets. Well, now it's kind of happening. And as Jake Fisher mentioned, their agents, they knew that this was in the works. I heard Jonathan Gavoni talking about this on the low post podcast yesterday. He kind of made an interesting comment at the time that this news could come across within the next couple of days. I didn't put much thought into it. I was like, Oh, probably not, but here it is. And maybe after the initial reporting, you expected it to kind of go along and along until we got to the beginning of next season. But here it is right in the thick of things come the NBA draft.
2: Well, the thing is too is that Mike's still going to be involved. It's not like he's getting ready to go anywhere not be around at all. So I don't think that them meeting with him is necessarily a bad thing. And we know that still, as far as just a, a basketball mind in the office, we know what he did on the court. We know about his career. So I think he wants to meet these guys and get a feel for him because he is indeed going to still be around for this basketball team. So I don't, I don't really see an issue with it. And I think it's still something that those guys should do. I'm sure that they probably do uh, want to meet him in some capacity. And the thing about Scoot is that the thing that always intrigued me about – him being interested in the process of selling and what uh, Michael Jordan was getting ready to do is I think this young man fancies himself as a brand that's going to be a major brand. And I think he feels like looking at the blueprints of a Steph Curry, looking at the blueprints of a LeBron James, even though he might not necessarily be coming in with the fanfare of a LeBron James. I think he sees the money that goes out on these contracts. He feels like he can get the shoe deal and other endorsements to add to his portfolio. And maybe one day when he's done playing, uh, have enough going for him where he can get in on team ownership. And I, that was my first thoughts when I heard them saying that he was intrigued with this process.
1: Yeah, it, just to give everybody some updates on the sale, Michael Jordan paid $275 million for a majority stake in the franchise in 2010. Now the valuation is set at $3 billion. Schnall, also again the minority owner with the Atlanta Hawks. Plotkin, minority owner with the Hornets as it stands right now. They'll become the franchise's governors once the NBA completes its vetting and approval process. Jordan will continue to oversee basketball operations through Thursday's NBA draft and the start of free agency come July 1st. That has led to a few people texting in, oh boy, I don't want Michael Jordan making this pick. There are some people out there that would rather have this thing go ahead and change hands before we get to Thursday within a week's time because they don't want Michael to oversee any more of the basketball operations. And this is where I think some of the criticism is certainly warranted because Michael did meddle. There was some of that. We do know about his infatuation with Frank Kaminsky at the time. That's pretty well sourced. We do know, actually, the signing with Terry Rozier. I was looking this up a little bit during the break. And that he played a major part in Terry Rozier not going to the Phoenix Suns when they were rumoredly interested in Terry. Michael was out of town. Michael was getting informed on some of this process going on with Terry behind the scenes. He's like, nah, let's go ahead and get rid of that. Find a way to bring him here. And then eventually he would sign a contract extension. Now, I don't like the extension. But Terry Rozier did provide some entertaining basketball. That helped them win 43 games, get into the play-in tournament the last couple of times. He's been the guy that has led the charge playing basketball in Miami, trying to organize and be a leader. Maybe not the most vocal of leaders, but I think a decent enough one. You might want Scoot Henderson to come in and be that guy down the line because he's pretty clearly vocal. But Terry Rozier, he's well-liked in that locker room. LaMelo Ball really likes Terry Rozier. Some of the other guys in that locker room have always had glowing things to say about the former Boston Celtic. You just want Mitch Kupchak to be the guy calling the shots because he's the general manager. And that's what he gets paid to do. If you hire somebody else, you want that general manager to come in and do what they're paid to do. And I do think, as we've talked about, I think that meddling stopped a lot once Mitch Kupchak took over and Rich Cho was fired.
2: Yeah, well, we know Mike loves the Carolina guys, but also the track record that Mitch Kupchak has had, whether you talk about the Lakers or during his basketball career, some of the picks that he's made, especially some of the more shrewd ones, whether you talk about second-round picks or late first-rounders. So I think that Mike trusts his basketball IQ. We know that Mitch Kupchak has long been a, a respected guy for his scouting eye around the league. So I think Mike has the trust in him to be able to do that. And the thing that's funny, I thought about when you brought up the Frank Kaminsky deal is that people always say that great players have a hard time being coaches or being able to work in environments like that because they expect players to be able to do the same things that they could. <laughs> right. so it just makes it's you, the Shaq effect. Shaq is yeah. the worst at this with his analysis. Yeah, it just makes you interested as to uh, when Michael Jordan watches players, what does he want to see from him? What does he feel like he needs to see from them before the green light? Because clearly they're not going to be what he was, but when he watched Frank Kaminsky, I just wonder what went on in that brain of his to be able to say, man, <laughs> this is a guy that I really fancy. And Frank Kaminsky was balling. and there was no question oh, about it. I just would have loved to yeah. have known in depth what Michael saw and how he thinks when he evaluates players. Well, and
1: this is, this is the problem in defending the Charlotte Hornets with some decisions they've made because, no, they don't have a playoff series win in this iteration of the franchise. They have been one of the least successful franchises since they came back as the Charlotte Bobcats. The draft history has been as poor as we've seen with a lot of other NBA franchises. I think it's changed a little bit since 2018, but before that, the only guy you can say they very much hit on was Kemba Walker, and even then, he was the second draft pick in a draft that included Bismack Biombo selected before him, so it's not a decorated history. MKG, as much as I feel bad for him, as much as I think that injury really hurt his progression into being a good player... Defensively, he was awesome. And let's not forget the discussion at that time. We were talking about how much of an X-factor he was going to be before he plays seven games, gets injured, and is never the same again. So it, it's weird because you might be asking, wait, why are you fighting that battle? And you might even be right about that. Why are you fighting MKG being okay in the injury being the real problem? Why are you fighting that Frank Kaminsky was actually a good Wisconsin player? Why are you fighting Terry... like? It's just, they go so in, people that criticize Michael and the Charlotte Hornets go so far to where we forget context at the time, and I think that's the problem. Ultimately, you might subscribe to a how many wins do they have? How many playoff series wins do they have? None? Okay, there's my answer. Can't argue with a lot of that. I can't. But to say that there's not context with a lot of these decisions, it's not exactly true. It didn't work out for them, but... There is some context here to explain some of the decisions they made. And again, I do think that for the most part, Mitch Kupchak has been the guy calling the shots yeah. ever since he took over in 2018.
2: Yeah, I think so, too. And so they've, they've hit on some picks. And I feel like that with their draft history, they just have to make sure, again, that that they get this pick right. And I feel like even if Michael did have a majority saying this pick, it would be hard to mess it up because I feel like there's so many people on each side of these guys that no matter who he picks, I think he'll be in good standing mm-hmm. as far as this pick goes, this isolated selection, whether he wanted Brandon Miller or Scoot Henderson. I think he would probably take more flack. If you take a Brandon Miller and then Scoot Henderson ends up being what a lot of people think that he could be, but I feel like a lot of the people out there that are saying, oh no, don't let Mike make the selection or whatever the case may be, I think that this would be a hard selection to mess up.
1: Well, and salesman wrote in, fortunately there isn't a big white guy in the draft for MJ to select at number two. (laughs) Now this is the thing, right? Like This is, Walker, why are you fighting these battles? I don't know, because I'm a glutton for punishment and this is what I do to myself sometimes. But when you go to 2013 and they Drafted Cody Zeller. Everybody's like, oh, awful draft pick. That 2013 NBA draft was actually really bad. Yeah. And Cody worked out as much as some of the other guys that went right after him. Alex Lynn, Nerlens Noel, Ben McLemore. Oh. KCP is the other one that you can make a case for. And he was drafted at number eight. Trey Burke at nine. And then you get to CJ McCollum at ten. CJ is the first real problem. You know All who right. won Rookie of the Year, by the way, that season? Michael Carter-Williams. I do remember that, yeah. Weird draft class. It's funny that Anthony Bennett, Oladipo, Otto Porter Jr. go top three. Cody Zeller is four. And until you get to ten with a real bad miss with C.J. McCollum, it's like, oh, okay. It actually, (laughs) it's not the worst in the world. And he and, uh, I guess, Caleb Martin, they did play in the Eastern Conference Finals this past season.
2: Michael Carter-Williams, boy, he couldn't shoot if you gave him a duck hunt and gone.
1: No, he couldn't. (laughs) <laughs> no, he could not. It was real bad. And then he came back and played for the Charlotte Hornets yeah. as well. Made the NBA Finals. I don't know why I sold Cody Zeller short. All right, we're well past the break. Let's go to the second segment, more Hornets Draft Talk, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC.
0: Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.
1: Let's head to the text line, 704-570-9610. If you want to talk about Michael Jordan selling a majority stake, we had a 704 number right in. If Michael is selling the majority stake in the team, but still is going to control the draft and free agency, has anything really changed? I said not for this offseason, no. And they yeah. said, okay, so we'll have to wait to celebrate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Nice. Yes, you're going to have to wait to celebrate a little bit. 704 said, quit defending MJ. He was a horrendous owner. Half the league makes the playoffs. Yeah, I'm not going to say he was great. He wasn't a great owner. But when everybody says he was the worst owner in the league, there were some f- stories about it could always get worse. But it was not very fruitful. There's no doubt about that. Go it
2: would have been interesting to see how everything would have turned out had they been able to have a full roster this season uh, minus the off-the-court issues that kept miles out and just see how everything would have gone then.
1: Um, seven, Yeah, it would have been very interesting. 704 number also wrote in, being a GM for MJ was the best job in the NBA. Every good decision was yours. Every bad decision was on Michael, according to his critics. That's a good point. So glad Michael sold the team. Now we can evaluate everyone. It did feel like that was happening, though. But I don't think Rich Cho was a good GM, right? Like, I think Rich Cho and Michael, I think there were some problems with that entire process. And so from 2010, when he purchases the team, to 2017, before you have Mitch Kupchak come in 2018 and run things, that was real bad on both accounts. So that was a problem. But what I'll say is, when you're talking about... The last five years or so, I think people held on to what was going on the first half of his tenure. The first, you know, I guess, what, 60 percent, something like that. And they kept applying it to the last five years. And, yeah, Michael is still going to have to sign off on decisions. And this is applicable to David Tepper, too, by the way. I mean, just owning a franchise, if you have big decisions, every single sport franchise is going to have to have their owner sign off on it.
2: And people keep saying that he sold the team, but he's still going to be around, and he's, he's still, still going to have around. a minority stake.
1: Yeah, he's he's going to be he's um, not going to be majority owner. He's not going to be majority owner anymore. He sold that stake, so it seems like people are confused. People are seeing there's a 49 percent ownership stake that he still has within the team, and uh, you know, actually, I. I haven't seen the 49% thing. Yeah, I haven't thing. seen that either. So we'll keep looking for it. There's enough people saying it to where I might be wrong. I just want to keep looking for it before I go gung-ho with it. But I, he's he's not going to have majority stake, right? Like, this is why it's a big deal. He'd already sold minority stakes to Gay Plotkin and Daniel Sunheim in 2019. This is the real deal here. This is the majority stake that he's going to be giving up. And so after this offseason is over and done with, I would imagine – then you'll have Gabe Plotkin, then you'll have Rick Schnall be the governing bodies as far as um, a majority ownership goes. So that's what will happen. Um, We do have the NBA draft coming up, and we don't know who they're going to select. It might be Brandon Miller, it might be Scoot Henderson, or they could trade it because there still are those reports out there. In fact, Mark Stein had this to say, quote, based on what I'm hearing, yes, the Pelicans are legitimately considering trading Zion Williamson for the number two pick. It doesn't mean they would 100% do it, but they are considering the prospect of trying to assemble a deal for Charlotte's number two selection that would feature Zion Williamson. You've been much more pro going after Zion. How much excitement would this bring to you if you did find Lamelo and Zion were going to pair together next
2: year? Yeah, I think it would be great. And we know the caveat. We know, we know, we know that Zion has to stay healthy. There's no question about that. But if they are able to get him, this is a man on the court that is dominant to say the least, holding down the block. And as I've said, The Internet would just be littered with LaMelo to Zion content on a nightly basis. It would be so much fun, especially having a hometown kid in a sense, even though he's from South Carolina. But it's right down the road, Spartanburg. So I think that would be an excellent aspect to this as well. I think the seats would be filled every night. A lot of people miss that nostalgic vibe of the Hive and how it was and the crowds and just the Rockets environment every single night. I think if you get Zion, I think you get that back. And I think especially if he's able to be – eligible for most of the games played, I think you're on to something on the court because we saw earlier in the season the Pelicans were rocking and rolling when they were healthy, when Ingram was healthy, when Zion was healthy as well. And I think the Hornets have the components. You add a Zion Williamson to the mix. Now, I'm not sure who would have to go out in that trade, but I just know with what you'd be bringing in, Melo and Zion would be phenomenal.
1: Well, we know number two would be going out. We we do know that. That's the only way you're getting Zion. And you would probably pair...
2: And I would think a couple of players would be going out.
1: Well, it's a huge, it's a a monstrous contract. So you'd be pairing Gordon Hayward, Terry Rozier, the bigger parts of your payroll in order to go get Zion because you do have to match salary. And so that would be a lot of money. Yeah, I'm much more averse to taking that risk. I don't want to go after Zion because the guy hasn't played. The figure I've rolled with is the fact that he's paid 100, played 114 games in the last four years. Just for comparison's sake, Gordon Hayward's played 140 in the last three, 30 more games, yet one less season. It's a big old risk, but it does speak to two ways of thought. Okay, do you want to go after Brandon Ingram, who still has a little bit of an injury history, but not nearly as extensive as Zion Williamson? Anybody that knows Brandon will point to his love of the basketball compared to Zion, who we've all had those questions about his drive to play the sport. Which I hate, but that's a legitimate question out there. So do you want to go after somebody that doesn't raise the ceiling as much, but had great numbers last year and also has an all-star appearance under his belt with the hunger to be great? Which one do you want to go after, or do you want to go with the ceiling despite the crazy injury history? And for me, I'd rather just keep number two. But here's another question I have, too. If you think the Hornets are going to take Brandon Miller, and let's say you could trade him... Or you know you'd trade that number two overall pick for another star that could come about brandon ingram would be a guy that is like what the 85th percentile of what brandon miller could be sure the 90th percentile I
2: subscribe to that
1: that might make sense that might make sense to go ahead and trade for brandon ingram you skip the puppy dog process I don't need to have the attachment of having them at six weeks old and then having him develop into a, a, a good old dog that I've spent the last five years with. I'll go ahead and just go somewhere else and then, you know, trade for the finished product. You know, yeah, it's going to cost a lot more money, but I'll just go ahead and get the dog that is 26 years old and Brandon Ingram. And we don't have to have him go through the growing pains and I'll pay $30 million a year for it. I wonder if it was Brandon Miller, if they'd be a little more inclined to do it. Whereas, if it's Scoot Henderson, which the Pelicans are interested in, if that leaves you saying, no, thank you, I'm not going to make that trade.
2: Well, I was going to say, it sounded pretty personal when you were talking about the dogs as well. Puppy training pretty hard. No, it's fine. (laughs) Um, Puppy
1: training can be hard. Yeah, I mean... They're so damn cute to where like, you just kind of put up with the yeah. pain and pooping on the floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is nice when they don't do that anymore. It is real <laughs> nice. And plus, the Beagle, he brought a, a few more problems than I expected.
2: Yeah, so I think, though, that's the intriguing part about it is you say, can I find a guy, or do you feel like the potential of said player is as good as X player that we're going to trade for? And I think that's always the conundrum, especially when it's a relatively young player like a Brandon Ingram or a Zion Williamson. You ask yourself, would this guy at his apex be as good as this guy? And I guess that's my thing with Zion when you look at what he's been able to do. And I'm, I'm definitely wishing on a star that things start to turn around for him as far as his eligibility game in and game out. But when the guy's on the court, I mean, there's no denying that he has the propensity to be one of the special players in the league. I mean, for his career already, for his career, he's averaging 26 points per game seven rebounds, shooting 60% from the field. And yeah, not a slouchy 34% from three either, even though he doesn't take many. I mean, he barely, he doesn't even take one. No really when offense, you look at the averages. offensively, he's ridiculous. Yes. But when I he's on the floor, he's, he's crazy. A little bit more work. I mean, he does average a steal game and almost four assists. So I just think you have to ask yourself, do you feel like that either of these two guys can be this or either of these guys can be what Brandon Ingram is inside of three to four seasons. I think the risk for
1: dramatically losing the trade is greater with Zion than it is even with Brandon Ingram or just keep. No doubt Skewer. about it. No it, doubt. And and so you might just be willing to do the whole risk it for the biscuit thing. And that's fine. Um, Yeah, I'm much more risk averse to that, especially when you have these opportunities on the table. Now, people have been writing about Miles Bridges on the text line. We did not get to that yesterday. And even today with the news coming Back in soon. with Michael Jordan, those are the emojis that Miles Bridges did tweet out two days ago. Back soon. He's also since turned on his responses on his Twitter timeline, which they were turned off for a while. He only tweeted a couple of times since June of last year. It was like a retweet of Darren Jackson winning defensive player of the year and something else I forget. All to say he has not been active on social media. Now he's throwing out some opinions out there and he's active and he says he's back soon. What do you make of this tweet and social media activity from Miles Bridges?
2: Um, I just again, I, I just feel like that Miles. Until he can get back and get things established and in order, he just needs to chill on the social media. Um, it just strikes me; it's hard to kind of. It's hard to put it into words, but I just think that he needs to just chill out a little bit until he just gets back, gets himself back into the good graces of the Hornets fans and back into the good graces of just uh, being a regular person in society because we know uh, you know, what he did. There's no need to go there. I think he should just kind of just chill out for a while. Let things just take its natural course. Yeah,
1: we'll see what happens with Miles. I, I think when you look at him, you know he's he's tweeting out quite a bit of stuff and it's fine i mean you can you know do whatever you want on your twitter timeline it, it's it's you know it's just interesting like he did tweet replies on fire away halo emoji and i i don't want to speculate i don't know what that means right is he kind of saying i'm not running from the smoke that you guys might have for me after what happened missing all of this time because of the felony domestic violence arrest that i had almost a year ago or a year ago, essentially right, what it's just kind of weird how some of this is being operated on his behalf. And at some point he's going to have to answer the public at some point, the Hornets are going to have to do that too. Once they decide if they decide to bring him back, which is also another great question. Michael Jordan has control this off season for personnel decisions. Is Gabe Plotkin is Rick Schnall heavily advising Michael to do something different with miles. Or do they just want the talented basketball player even despite the arrest? I wonder if there are any different different trains of thought with two different owners that are operating as – it's a weird dynamic right now, and I wonder if there's any differences of opinion.
2: And see, that's my that's my problem with him coming back and getting a contract like what was talked about earlier this week on the show. When you talk about four years, $100 million, yes, yeah, not the 30 to 35 maybe that he was going to get, but that's still a really, really nice deal. And to come out of this scenario that he's come out of to get $100 million, that's why I think now he kind of feels emboldened. Uh, I think maybe if this is the type of deal that's in the works for him, and I am speculating, but if that's the type of deal that's in the works for him now, I think he probably does feel like this is just water under the bridge now. The way his mind works and some of the other antics that we saw from him last season, whether it's the content on the rap albums or whether it's some of the things that we saw on social media, I think this is a cat that just feels like that, you know, he could just do whatever. And not that he would go back and do something to this degree again, but that that's my whole issue with him coming back and just automatically getting the spoils once again, of being an NBA player. And that's why I said, I feel like a prove it deal should be in the works for him to really show that he's atoned for what he's done and that he's gotten his act together. Because I think now coming on the Twitter, doing some of these things, it's just saying that he's now starting to feel more and more like things are normal and that he can do what he wants to do. And the money is certainly going to add to that.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's going to miss out on on a decent amount, but it, it, he's still going to get paid a lot. Right. It's not going to be the max that he was going to get. Uh, last year before he was arrested. But he's still going to get a lot of money, especially if it's going to be basically $100 million total, about $25 million per season. Miles Bridges, he's in the news. Also, with this draft pick, we, I did want to go to one more point because we do know Scoot Henderson and Brandon Miller, at least the Hornets are attempting to bring both of those guys in to have one last meeting with Michael
2: Jordan. How do you think each of these prospects can impress the GOAT, Wes? I think for Scoot, I think the main thing is just, as we've talked about with him, the competitiveness, I think that's what will appeal the most to Michael Jordan because I think he knows he's seen the workout. He's seen what this guy can do on the court. I think the competitiveness, I think, will resonate a lot with Michael. I think he'll see a lot of things in him that he saw in himself in those regards. I think also when we talked about the the brand acumen and what he has in his mind, in store for himself. But if I had to point to one quality, I think Scoot's competitiveness or rumored competitiveness is the number one thing that will appeal to Michael the most, and I think that will get him the most fired up about drafting Scoot.
1: We still have the week that was. We want to look back at the best highlights of the past week, but not before we shrop it like it's hot once again.
4: What you got for us, Robbie? All of this health talk with Zion kind of has me wanting to talk some NHL injuries that happened during the finals. Um, It was reported that Matthew Kachuk did not play in Game 5 because he played through Game 4 with a broken sternum. Uh, Whenever he went to go get dressed for Game 4, he could not dress himself. Mm. He had to have his teammates help uh, get all of his equipment on. And then Aaron Ekblad was reportedly, he broke his foot in the first series against Boston. This is all the same dude. He popped his shoulder out twice, Mm. cleared concussion protocol, and there was one other thing. Oh, yeah, and he tore his oblique. This is all one dude, and he didn't miss a single game. And then there was another guy that had a high ankle sprain in the Stanley Cup Finals against Vegas, and he said that's usually a six-week recovery period. That guy missed one period of play. So that kind of raises the question: Do you guys think that hockey players are among the toughest? In oh, all
2: there's sports? no question about it. Oh, I Jeff mean, Rickard loves this
1: question, Shroppy. <laughs> he wants to come in on the mic right now and talk about how hockey players
4: are the toughest dudes in the world. They yeah, are, man. man. We we had LeBron sit out three months for a cramp.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's no doubt about it. The the toughness of hockey players, and I think about them and NFL players especially. Some of the injuries that they play with. I mean, you, you turn on an NFL game, it's, it's 20 degrees outside. They're like, yeah, he's got two torn abdomens, but he thinks he's going to give it a go. We'll see how he plays during warm-ups. And you're like, what? I would be laid out for months. But that's why these guys get uh, the pay that they get, and that's why they are the stars that they are.
1: Yeah, they're tougher than me. I can tell you that right now. One more segment <laughs> to go on Wes and Walker. Coming up next, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. billy joel at two o'clock today because wes said to Strappy, hey Shroppy, do we have any j cole music in there considering he is now a part of the group that was purchasing ownership stake for the charlotte hornets and so it's the first time in i don't even know how long west that we didn't hear billy joel bless us i know that's normally
2: a friday staple
1: yeah at least i we, wanted
2: to rock back and forth
1: we did get the closing song for the staple so fitty is still with us somewhere before he hops on <laughs> uh with kyle bailey Uh, We're going to hear some audio from him in just a moment as well, because it's time now to go back and visit the week that was. Shroppi's been with us all week long, and Wes was a little surprised about the knowledge Shroppy has regarding the music. Go ahead, Shroppi, and show people why Wes was so surprised.
2: West Side Gun, I guy. <laughs> Does it? No. That's way too
1: polarizing. He definitely. That's, he can ruin a song, though, with some of those ad libs.
2: See, I'm, i You know me. I like West Side. He is my favorite Ingrid Zelda. He's one of my favorite rappers. I love West Side Gun. But, he can do no wrong for me. Okay, but you have to acknowledge,
1: if you put on the shoes of other people, he can ruin a song for some people. Like, it's not for everybody. There is a no West Side Gun in the car rule when my girlfriend is in it.
2: Really? Yep, (laughs) because of him. She hates his voice. 100%. No, no, no. I want to know how she described it to you the first time she said it. Was she like, the guy that you listen to that's like... Do, 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 do. Oh, I don't well, want to hear that. Well, no, because
1: she's like, what in the hell is this? Except she didn't <laughs> say hell. She said something I can't oh, say. Oh, okay. And so she was like, no. Like, I can't. And she'll let me play some of it. Uh huh. But, like, Walker, I can't do it. Play anything else. You I get just about can't a do it. Two or
4: three Frank for Paris was a great album. Yeah. Movie. Oh, oh whoa, no.
2: Shroppy, when you come out of nowhere with the <laughs> oh, What? I
4: know some music. <laughs> yeah.
2: Shrappy? I know that, but dang, I didn't expect you to come out of nowhere with that. Fitty is not going to know what "Pray for Paris." No, is. he would not.
1: <laughs> no. And Wes was delighted to know that Troppy knows a little bit about West Side Gun.
2: Yeah, because Griselda's so niche. I mean, even though they're they're, they're kind of popular, but they're still quite underground. This is not a group that people just walk around automatically knowing. Uh, the albums and the cast of characters so and Shroppy and i have never had hip-hop conversation Uh i wasn't surprised that he listens to hip-hop like that but we've never had hip-hop conversations and for him to come out of nowhere and be like oh pray for paris was dope i was like wow okay (laughs) let me impress
1: and plus it was like a correct take Yes, very much. It was a correct take on West Side Gun. Fitty probably would not know it, although I'm not making fun of Fitty. I promise, Ms. Bryant, I'm not doing that. And the reason I'm saying— He
2: prays um, for—where's he from? i don't know lancaster yeah he prays for lancaster
1: i always have to <laughs> stress the the fact that i'm putting the the emphasis on the first because yeah. i want to go lancaster but it's not that yeah. it's lancaster yes and it i is. always try to remind myself of that but the reason i'm saying those things to Ms. bryant is because she called in last week to defend our usual board of our usual producer and josh fitty
2: marlowe mom what's what's going on What what do you have to tell the people
0: Hey guys, I just wanted to tell the people I listen to y'all show every day, and I uh, Walker, I don't know you and uh, whatever. Uh, Walker, I don't know you as well yet, but I just want y'all to know I think that y'all are taking advantage of of Joshua, <laughs> and I think that y'all are kind to him. And I just want y'all to know I want y'all to do better. You and Wesley have such big egos, and it's just smothering oh, no. mother Josh, so. <laughs> I want y'all to do better by him because I think y'all are taking advantage of him.
2: Remember, you said we treat him like Cinderella.
0: Yeah, y'all treat him like Cinderella. Yeah.
2: I agree. I think we give him a glass slipper every single day. <laughs> yeah, because I we no, t- you don't. <laughs> I
1: listen
0: to y'all guys and y'all mistreat him. Don't let me have to come up there. Uh,
1: I knew it was real when she called him Joshua. Yes. <laughs> Government name. Mom all day. She's not playing around. And then she said, "Don't make me come up there." That was the second time I knew it was real serious. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not not trying
2: to hurt her. What a load! One of the biggest loads of mumbo jumbo we've ever had on this show. I mean, Fitty just ate it up, and I knew that he would. And uh, he did what he what we expected him to do
1: i'm not going to call it a load of mumbo jumbo yeah but i can i don't want those problems i do not want that smoke (laughs) he did do us a solid though because i do like the promo that he has going around exploiting my catawba county tendencies yeah well here's the promo that's been circulating It's a weird story, but me and my friend saved a lamb one time. (laughs) (laughs) That's so, uh, what's the town? Catawba County. County. It's very Catawba County. Yeah. I was at my buddy's place. They just got a new sheep. And my buddy's grandfather said, if you let that sheep out of its pen, I'm going to destroy you. What do we do? We sure enough let the new sheep out of the pen, and it was running all around Claremont like it just broke out of jail. It was being bad.
2: (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's for next
1: week. Wes called it. Oh, the the problem is we feed the beast when he says those dumb jokes. We do. That do make me laugh, and I can't help it. And that's his number one goal. All he wants to do is make us laugh, and especially me because – I'll just say something's funny sometimes, and then won't laugh, and it always frustrates him. And then you were like, "Yeah, that's for next week." Oh, what's week.
2: the one that I said you do? You go. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh yeah, that was right <laughs> after the show. Yeah. yeah,
2: when you do that one. So I was like, "Yeah, Fitty definitely feels like it, it feels like a reward to get you to give a good hard laugh." <laughs> I feel like in his eyes.
1: Well, Wes was saying this when we got done with the show. Might have been last week or two weeks ago. And he was talking about something I forget what it was. Yeah, he made a point, and I did laugh. I I'm not gonna lie, I probably did sound. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> and West, without skipping a beat, said, "Doesn't doesn't that just make you frustrated when Walker laughs at you like that?" I forget your real words, but you weren't. Pleased yeah, I did. With that.
2: I said something like that. I thought it was funny too, and I said I'm gonna start doing that too. I'm gonna go. <laughs>
4: It's like a pity laugh. Yeah, that's what they were saying. <laughs> yeah,
2: it's like I don't mean to,
1: but I guess I was—I was, uh, was just—I thought it was funny. I just was just giving a pity laugh. Um, speaking of Fitty doing good things, though, not only did he create that promo, he also wore a polo, looking professional. He did. And here was the moment we realized it. I also am a little shook because I just saw—look F- concerned. Well, I saw Fitty walk by in the hallway. <laughs> He's got a polo on. He doesn't have any Mets gear on. He doesn't have a Carolina shirt on or I anything totally like that. that.
4: Shroppy, do you know why he's wearing a polo today? I don't. I would assume something's gone wrong. Something's gone be going horribly wrong. Going to a wrong. wedding after work? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Wait. Why is he dressed up? What kind of event does he have? Because I'm telling you right now, this is someone that if he can't wear shorts to an event, then all hell breaks loose. Right. So why is this person wearing a collared shirt walking into work today? Can you tell us why? Because you don't do this unless there is a nice event you have to attend.
4: Well, first off, I wear uh, colored shirts all the time. You just don't pay attention to my wardrobe. No, you
1: don't. You wear Mets, Tar Heels. I have I have polos of them. No, cowboy. that's it. It's just those two. And he, and he wears cowboy stuff during the NFL season. Man, you are going to throw a fit if you can't wear shorts somewhere.
4: <laughs> don't you try to get it twisted in here. Nah. truth be told, everything in my in my closet was dirty. And I didn't want to do laundry last night, so I just brought out the FNC polo. So it's a lazy move, not, which is fun. <laughs> I have those
1: lazy moves as well. Oh, it was weird. It was weird to see it, uh, Wes. I'm not capping here. We don't
2: see him. Not in the at polos. all. Definitely. When he came in with the polo, that's why I said he must have been going to a wedding or something because I feel like that would be his wedding attire: a uh, khaki <laughs> shirt and uh, a polo shirt. I think that's dressing up for well, Josh Fitty Marlowe when, when he when he sees formal, he sees polo. Oh, exactly. Man. I got to wear and, pants. And is angry about <laughs> pants, it. You know. And is angry
1: about it. Going to a wedding. Why do we have to wear pants? (laughs) Semi-formal still means he can wear shorts. Right. But when it's a black tie event, he just doesn't go. Got to wear jeans now. (laughs) Got to wear some long pants. This is ridiculous. 704 said a mix of working with KB and Flounder, having a secret admirer, made Fitty step his game up. Oh, I didn't know the last part about that. He's got a secret
4: admirer. Do you know this, Shroppy? I know Flounder. Yeah, Flounder has one. Uh, She is apparently... Of the older sorts. I've heard she's around 78 years old. Oh, wow. But, (laughs) you know. No, I like it. He I might he might be into that. I'm glad seven oh four brought that to our attention. It's always uh, Gilf
1: season. Dude. Um, okay, we're gonna move on from that. Uh the next soundbite that we had <laughs> God, Oh Shroppy. Um the other soundbite that we have is when I told everyone I wasn't allowed to play a video game and yeah. it's why uh, and it's me getting angry as like a ten year old for not being in the same room because I couldn't play a certain video game. When I was growing up, my brothers were all on Vice City and i hated grand theft auto because i had to leave the room every single time they would start to play it and so we had 2k we had nba live and then they would want to play grand theft auto and I threw a fit because I wanted to play some sports games. I yeah. wanted to be
2: in the room, hang yeah. with my brothers. Yeah. Like, nope, time to play some GTA so, Vice City. So what was the indication once that was coming when they were about to put it in? Would they just kind of just start looking at you like? Yeah, like, well, it was really my oldest brother and his friends. And then what? ah oh, man, there's this one.
1: It's a Mad Max video game. Mm-hmm. Max something. It also was a movie franchise. Yeah, I forget. It what probably the, Max, Mad Max Fury. Max Fury. Oh, yeah. yeah. Max Fury. I had to. I had to leave the room for that one. Dang. And I went and told on him. I was like, they keep kicking me out. <laughs> I, at that time, I was snitching. I was just oh like Lord. MF Doom in the intro music you played. I was. <laughs> I was a snitch. And I said, hey, they keep kicking me out. I hate it. They Finally, my dad talked to my brothers. And my dad took their side. Like, look, if they want to play the video game, you got to stay out. Oh, uh, well, well, Not happy about it. So Grand Theft Auto, actually one of my least favorite video games wow. of all time. It's a hard life for Walker as a kid, man.
2: Yeah, man, that stinks. I don't think I ever had to go out of the room when they were playing any game, but the only game I could really think of that my cousins would play that was kind of scary was uh, Friday the 13th, and that game did give me nightmares.
1: Well, that was your guy at the end, right? Yeah. No, not know, Jason.
2: Michael. Myers. I know Michael Myers is yeah. your guy. How is Jason not your guy? I've never seen a Friday the 13th. I've never watched one. They, they come on during Halloween, and I've never watched them, and I think that's one of the reasons why because... Uh, still have PTSD from the video mm-hmm. game back in the day.
1: Wes is singing no new friends only Michael Myers. That's and right group. baby no Jason. Big Mike. No other slashers allowed. That'll do <laughs> it for the week that was. That'll do it this week for Wes and Walker. Keep it right here for the Kyle Bailey show. The last day of Josh Fiddy Marlowe on the Kyle Bailey show. So he gives you a nice send off coming up next on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ